good to see all of the jerseys here. I'd like, if you have a jersey, would you just stand up for a moment if you're wearing a jersey today? Oh, that's good. Okay, let's do one better. Everybody that's wearing jersey, come up front real quick. We're going to get a picture real quick. <laughs> Becky, you got your phone? You could take a sample picture of us real quick, please. Stay in front here, Wyatt, so we see everybody. Come on, real quick. Yeah, right's right. Mine is still with the team. Yeah, that's why one one isn't here. Okay, move in tight. Move in tight, everybody. Come on up here if you need to. <laughs> okay, we got everybody. Okay. Yep. All right. Thank you all for coming up here. Let's give everybody a hand that remembered to wear one or that got the memo. We're sorry we didn't get word out to everybody, but it was one of those, one of those ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And then somebody still wore cowboys. Can you imagine? But he said it's been worth it because he's been taking flack all morning for wearing it. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Everybody has to have their token Cowboys fan. <laughs> okay. Some of us like to wear jerseys often. Some of us never wear them, especially to church. Uh, going to be a little bit difficult, uh, maybe, to wear a different kind of thing that seems a little more casual, more casual than we're used to. Uh, and so I know some of you are wondering why we're doing this this morning, and I will get to that eventually. You know, did I just want us to have casual day together? No. You know, is it team spirit day? Well, maybe a little bit. Um, what I really want you to do is think about being a fan, a fan of Jesus, and uh, more than that, but let's start there. You know, we love to talk about our favorite baseball or football or basketball team, and we get pretty excited and animated and even sometimes pretty passionate when we talk about our players. I heard some conversations starting about Bryce Harper this morning because we're kind of passionate about a decision he's just made. And uh, I wonder, do we get ever this excited about following Jesus? as we do our sports teams? There's a good question for us to think about this morning. You know, we talk about worshiping God, and we enjoy coming every Sunday to do that and doing it also in our private lives throughout the week. But I wonder if sometimes we're not nearly as emotional about that as we are about our sports team. And is there some, some problem there? You know, um, how can we get so excited about watching our team and so unexcited, so almost disconnected from excitement and emotion when it comes to worship. Now, I still haven't answered the question, have I? Why did I want us to wear sports jerseys? We'll get to that. You know, I have a brother, Jim, who's a little bit older than me. He's a doctor, and he is fanatical about the Pacers and the Colts. And if you happen to be in the same room with him when a game is on, 
nothing else can happen. You know, he's up and down from the couch, and he's yelling, and he's all excited about that, and he's yelling at the TV if they mess up, and he's jumping around, you know, excited when they do something well. And I've gone to church with my brother Jim. He's just not like that when you go to church. Not at all. In fact, he'll sing when they sing a song, but it's pretty low-key and very unemotional. Why is that? How can that be? The sermon title for today's sermon, Organic Outreach, is this very simple one, Everyone Plays. And that may give us a little bit of clue to my answer today. That means that there are no fans when it comes to Jesus' mission to save the world one lost person at a time. And so to be a fan of Jesus may not be all that he wants you to be, to just be somebody, you know, that cheers for him, somebody that roots for him, somebody that likes him and admires him. There must be much more to that story than that. Here's another way to put it. Evangelism and outreach is not a spectator sport. We're all called to get into the game. God invites every follower of Jesus to get off the sidelines and onto the field. So there's nobody in the church that's really on the bench. There's nobody that's red-shirting it right now. Everyone plays injured or not. As a matter of fact, sometimes the most injured players are the best, most valuable players because what they can contribute, what they can bring to the game is better, more effective than maybe what the healthy, fit-to-play players may have at that time. Now, I wonder if you saw what I wrote on the cover of the bulletin today. Some sports fans are radical in their vo- devotion to their favorite team. It's crazy how people get over their, al- uh, over their alma mater or maybe their favorite pro team. Haven't you seen those video clips, you know, of shirtless fans in Minnesota when it's 10 degrees outside? It's just, yeah, they must be filled up with a lot of hot stuff inside or something. I don't know what they're doing there. But fans may be radical. And even rabid in their devotion. But is that enough? Is it enough to dress up, to cheer, to boo? Isn't there more to playing the game? Pray with me. Father, I pray that our hearts would be open to your word today. I pray that our hearts will be open to your spirit as he speaks to us. May we take this message individually today. Wherever we are, whatever may have happened up to this point in time in our lives, we open our hearts to you. We ask you to speak to us. Speak to me, Father. Help me to know what you want me to do as your word is revealed today through Christ. Amen. You know, on God's mission team, no one is allowed to sit on the sidelines and spectate. That is a word I found out. No one's allowed to be an observer only. Everyone must be in the game. And if you're not, something's wrong. Something is broken. Something is broken in the way that you follow Jesus or the way I follow Jesus. And that something needs to be fixed as soon as possible. If you think you can go through life as a Christian simply watching what others do, maybe the pastors or the leaders or the evangelist or you know some other people that's really gifted in some way, You've got another thought coming because all of us are called out onto the field. We're not to be just left up in the stands cheering. We want to be playing on the field. Kyle Eidelman is known to some of you perhaps. He preaches at one of the largest Christian churches in the country. It's called Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. 
It's the seventh largest church at this point, I think. Close to 30,000 people go there every weekend for worship and, and other activities. And that's just a little bit bigger than we are. Uh, they have over 300 people on staff at this church. And uh, it's kind of mind-boggling to go there. You just look around and say, I, I just can't believe that this is all happening around here. Now, there are a lot of good things going on at Southeast Christian Church. There's a lot of good ministry going on. But a few years ago, Kyle and the leaders noticed that a high percentage of their people only came to church on Sundays and had no other involvement in the church. They didn't go to a small group. They didn't volunteer in a ministry. They didn't sing in a choir or play in a ball team. As far as they knew, these people didn't ever talk to anyone about Jesus and only on occasion might pray for somebody that needed Jesus. And Kyle and his leaders had to admit that somehow their church, as big as it was, had become a mile wide and an inch deep, as he put it. They were large, but they were not deep spiritually. They were not finding the way to get many people from the stands down into the field. Now, this is a problem that's not just for big churches. It can be true of any church, no matter its size. It can be true in churches of 100 people just as well as in a mega church. People that have become Christians can be Christians for 20 or 30 or 40 years, but still remain spiritual shallow and not really committed to the Lord and to his mission in the world. And so Kyle began to preach a message to the congregation, a series of messages. It was called, Not a Fan. And he drew a distinction between a fan and a follower. Not a fan, but a follower became the mantra of a new movement of Southeast Christian Church. And it helped. I think it can help us. And so we've had some groups go through the study of his book that came out of that, Not a Fan. Thousands of people have responded to a challenge to go deeper with the Lord. Will we respond to such a challenge? Now, I'm not surprised that this idea that we can be fans and spectators only has happened to many American churches today. And I blame myself and other preachers and pastors because too often we have tried to make following Jesus as appealing or as comfortable or as uh, maybe convenient as possible. You know, we, we want people to come to Christ, so we say, if you'll just do this, if you will just say this, or if you will just follow these steps, or if you will go through this process, and it won't take much, it will just be easy and quick, you will be a follower of Jesus. But what we have done in the process is created a lot of fans of Jesus, but not really followers of Jesus. And we all need to learn what it really means to follow Jesus. It, it's not about being part of Jesus' fan club. It's not about wearing a jersey with Jesus' name on the back. You know, he's our champion and we all love him. It's not about doing a lot of cheering from the stands or from the sanctuary. And following Jesus isn't easy. It's not for the faint of heart. Following Jesus takes a lot of guts. Following Jesus is denying ourselves and taking up a cross. Isn't that what Jesus said in Luke 9? 23, listen to Luke 9, 23 and 24. Jesus said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. That's pretty heavy stuff. It's difficult stuff. He says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. 
But whoever loses their life for me will save it. True followers of Jesus don't just sit in the stands. They can't sit in the stands. That's not what they're about. They're down on the field playing a life and death game right beside their champion, Jesus. Now, there are a lot of fans of Jesus. But how many true followers are there? I think only Jesus knows. I, I don't know. You don't know. Maybe I can know for myself. You can know for yourself. But only Jesus knows how many there are total. Now, if I made my point this morning, we can't just be fans of Jesus. That's not an option given to us when we become a Christian. We must deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and then follow him. How many of you like to go to a Mexican restaurant? Anybody like Mexican restaurants? Okay, that's just about everybody. Uh, just, just a lot of fun. We have our favorites. Uh, we lost one of our favorites, Casa Chamayo, a couple years ago. A lot of people were really upset about that. Now they're revamping the whole place. Who knows what it will be. But when you go to the Mexican restaurant, most of them, almost everyone I've been to, first thing they do is seat you at your table, give you a menu, and pretty soon here comes this big bowl of chips, tortilla chips, and some salsa, and it might be pretty hot stuff or mild if that's what you ask for, or maybe some guacamole with it, you know, and you know, why do they do that in this restaurant? Why do they give this stuff free to you? Why do they just assume you want chips and salsa? It just comes automatically to your table, and you start chomp, chomping down on it. Why are they doing that? They're creating thirst. They're creating hunger. Yeah? Think it through. You ever think about this? You know, you hear you eating the chips, and pretty soon, man, I wish I had some water. I wish I had you know, soft drink, wish I had something to, you know, to take care of this thirst that's happening. And now you're looking at your menu and you had planned to order about an $8 item and suddenly you're ordering a $15 or $18 item because you're thinking, man, I'm really hungry. Look, I'm, man, I'm feeling it, you know. I'm thirsty, I'm hungry, I'm going to order. And the Mexican restaurant knows exactly what they're doing. Jesus said that we are salt and we are light. I want you to think about this for a minute. That as we are out in the world and we are living for him, that he has called us to be salt. And one of the things it does is it creates thirst for Jesus. This is what the word of God says, Matthew 5, 13 through 15. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it up on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. What is Jesus talking about here? Well, he's talking about salt and light and how they change things. They are, they are change agents. So whatever they're near, whatever environment they're in, whatever they're put next to, they automatically start changing what they're next to. We are salt and light. And we are called to get next to lost people that Jesus wants to save. So Jesus said, be salt. Now, there are many spiritual realities we could talk about, but we need to identify just two this morning. First of all, I already said it, salt makes people thirsty. So that when we live our lives and they see how we live our lives and that we see Jesus living in us, they start getting this thirst, this hunger for what someone else has. 
Salt is a natural change agent. And what we have inside of us is Jesus. And when Jesus starts coming out, when Jesus' life starts coming out, people hunger for what they see. They thirst for what they see him doing in our lives. Remember back in John 4, we've talked about the woman at the well and Jesus talking with her. And we learn in that passage that Jesus is living water. He quenches thirst like no one else can. And Jesus is trying to get that point across to this Samaritan woman that he's talking with. And she's resisting and she's pushing him back and and she's trying to confuse the subject. But eventually she realizes this guy has something I need, something I want. And she comes to faith in Christ and she not only is excited about that, but she goes and tells everybody in her town and they come out. In the next two days, Jesus is with them and many of them come to faith in Christ. Jesus is attractive. Jesus quenches their thirst as no one ever had before. Salt makes people thirsty. Salt also preserves. The preserving impact of authentic Christians is manifested in many ways. You know, we live in such a world, a world that is going as fast as it can away from God, a world that is denying God, that is denying the truth of God. And salt preserves the ways of God, the truth of God, morality, God's way of living as we live for Jesus in this dead and decaying world. We make a difference. Let me read you something that that, uh, Kevin Harney wrote in his book, Organic Outreach for Individuals, and this preserving quality of salt. He says, when a Christian business owner runs his company with integrity and honesty, he has a preserving influence and reveals the presence of God. Each time a high school student who loves Jesus refused to cheat on a test, resist giving in to sexual temptation, or seeks to care for another student who's been marginalized, she becomes a preserving factor on her campus. Every time Christians speak with honesty, or care for the environment, or protect the oppressed, or pay their taxes, or stand for the value of human life, or resist racism, or love their neighbor, or do anything that helps build a stronger and healthier world, they become preserving factors, and God receives glory. Over time, others begin to ask us why we're different, why we care so much, and why we live such a countercultural existence. In those moments, we can point to the one who saved us, who empowers us to live as beacons of hope in Christ. Jesus also said we are to be light. Two realities here we'll mention. Could be many more. First of all, we know light dispels darkness. People today are living in spiritual darkness as much as any generation ever. I'm convinced God has called us to be agents of his light in the blackness of this dark world. We don't have any light of our own. We reflect his light. We reflect and we allow Jesus to shine through us. But he has in that enabled us to reflect the light of Jesus, the true light of the world. We have a confident trust in our Savior, a boldness that is rooted in our faith in Him, and our lives shine out into the darkness of this world. You know, if you just were a candle, that would be enough. You don't have to be, you know, a 60,000 lumen something or other. If just one candle in the darkness is seen and sheds light and dispels darkness. So be what you can be. Be as much light as you can be. 
and it will change things around you. Light also drives away fear. And we know this is a generation of fear. Our culture is infested with fear. More and more people are being gripped by anxiety and worry and sometimes raw terror. You know, you're watching the news. You say, I'm not going to watch the news anymore because I just get too upset, I get too agitated, I become you know, too fearful about the future. People worrying about their kids and their grandkids and what their lives will be. But in Christ, we have hope. We have confidence. We have calmness. We have peace. Followers of Jesus have security and confidence in Jesus, a certain hope. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That is where we live But it is so different than where the world lives. And when we live in peace and confidence, it drives away the fear of our lives. People will see that. And it will become a powerful witness to this dark world. So be salt and be light in this lost world. We need to stop hanging out in the stands, cheering others on. We need to get down on the field and play. Kevin Harney, author of Organic Outreach, shared his experience as a coach in a youth soccer league. It was called the American Youth Soccer Organization. One of the main philosophies of the AYSO League was not immediately appreciated by Harney because he's a highly competitive guy. He'd always been in sports, always been very competitive, whatever he played. He had three sons, and while they were growing up, he wanted them to be part of soccer. So he ended up becoming a coach in this league. He went to the orientation, and they're talking about what they valued within the AYSO League. And the philosophy was simply put this way, everyone plays. (laughs) That is our value. That is how we know that we're winning. He's pretty skeptical about this at first, you know. How, How do you do that? How do you put everybody on the field, no matter their talent or skills or what they can contribute? And how is it that that's your best value? So during the meeting, he said, I just had enough. I raised my hand. And I wanted to ask a question. And he said, you know, I was a little more sarcastic when I asked, is it okay if we tell the kids which direction to kick the ball? Is it okay if we tell them that there's this net down at the end that's their net and they're supposed to kick the ball into that net or are we just out there to play, you know? Is it okay that at the end of the game somebody has more than the other team and it's okay to celebrate that somebody scored more goals than the other team? And and people were kind of going along with this good-naturedly, and they had a really nice discussion about this. But they eventually won him over. Yes, we have those goals. We do teach them the rules of the game. We do teach them what winning and losing is. We do teach them that their goals count. And we celebrate the wins, but we also learn how to handle the losses with good sportsmanship. But our highest value is still this. Everyone plays. Because we know that when everyone plays, everyone wins. Now, that sounded crazy to him still. He had pictures of this thing that there are no awards or everybody gets an award. And there are no trophies except everybody gets a trophy. And so the whole thing is kind of thrown out as to why you're striving and why you're trying to work so hard. And then he started to catch it as he coached. 
And he saw kids that were sitting on the bench all of their lives, some that didn't want to even be there, some that said, I prefer to be on the bench because I don't want to go out there and make a fool of myself. I'm only here because my parents make me do it, all the different things. And as he played them, he saw the change that happened in their lives. As they got out on the field, he became one of those coaches who said, not only does everyone play, but everybody plays the same amount of each game, same number of minutes on the field, whether you're the best player or the worst player, everybody's going to play. And his teams just excelled. He saw people that never had had really gotten on the field before that went in very tentatively, very nervously, but their skills developed and they became some of the greatest encouragers to everyone else on the team. And even their own skills just skyrocketed. He saw that it worked. In the playing, people's skills were honed and made the most of. So here's some good news this morning. Some of us in the church who have been content to sit on the sidelines on the bench can also become fired up with a passion for the game. A passion for souls once we get in the game. But you have to get off the bench. You have to get out in the game and get on the field and no longer be satisfied to spectate from the sidelines. Don't be just a fan. Be a follower. Get dirty doing actual ministry down on the field. Don't be satisfied to wear a jersey showing your loyalty. Suit up and get down on the field where the action's happening. Serve people with needs, some very great needs. People that are hurting far beyond maybe your capacity to even do anything about it, but just be there for them. Learn what you can do to help. Love them unconditionally, even when it's difficult to do so. Sacrifice your time. Sacrifice your money. Sacrifice your energy. Wear yourself out playing on the field alongside Jesus. Share your faith with lost people. Talk up Jesus whenever you get an opportunity to do that. You know, some of us have a trouble that we want to be an armchair quarterback. You know what that is? That's the person that sits off to the side and kind of criticizes what's going on down on the field. Like he would know better. Criticizes the coaches. They didn't call the right plays. Criticizes the players where they dropped the ball, where they forgot what to do, or they just didn't do it well. But the armchair quarterback never gets in the game. God doesn't have any armchair quarterbacks on his team. If you think you are, you're on the wrong team or you're misplaced or mistaken about who you are he wants us all down on the field risking injury maybe even risking death now i see new hope christian church as a church that's transitioning that's that's moving in the right direction we're trying to be salt and light in our community and in our world in about a month uh, less than four weeks now we're going to have our fourth uh, health fair and uh this Friday morning, I happened to have a guy come by. He's with Divine Mercy Care. It's a kind of a, a pregnancy um, ministry of, of doctors who uh, will not have anything to do with abortions. And so they, they uh, watch uh, women and uh, their pregnancies throughout, deliver their babies, follow up with care and so on. But within an environment that is a, you know, a, a valued uh, environment following God and God's word and... Uh, he, he started asking me, you know, how does this church do outreach? And I thought, okay. Um, he talked about a couple different things. And I said, well, we have this health fair coming up. 
Well, why are you doing that? Well, because there's a lot of people, you know, that are hurting, a lot of people that, that need that, people that are uh, without insurance, people that, you know, have nowhere to go. The only place they go is the emergency room, you know, when they get really in a crisis situation, but they never go and get preventative care. They never go, you know, and, and get checkups and, and so on. So we're providing that so people will know there's a place where this can happen and they'll be cared for. And we're going to do it in the name of Jesus. And I saw him tearing up. He said, you guys get it. You get what this is about. You, you see the people and where they're hurting, and you're going to do something about that. And we even talked about being salt and light in our community. And it was, it was good for me to hear somebody outside that didn't know anything about it, just learning about it, said, this church is getting that. It's understanding that. We also are part of the Barefoot Doctors Ministry in Burma. Uh, they've just finished their schooling. They're going back for after their second year of school home. Uh, they'll, they'll leave tomorrow morning and go back to Burma. They'll come back again next January uh, to Thailand for their last year and for graduation. But we have you know, some really direct involvement in that. We've had several people go over there. I go over there every other year. We support that ministry. We've been part of that in sending financial assistance and prayers and being involved in that, sending different items over to help. That is another place, you know, we're, we're being salt and light. Very dark place uh, in Myanmar right now. Caleb and Monica, Sana, uh, you know, a year and a half or so ago, uh, had a call put on their lives to go to Liberia. And we were so excited that we could send them over there to another dark region of our world and be salt and light in their place. And, you know, in May, there's going to be four of us go over there to be part of that for eight or nine days and, and help out with uh, everything that we can while we're there and encourage them and see firsthand what they're doing so that we can better understand and better support as their home church what they're doing in Liberia, Africa. But this comes down also to individual thing, doesn't it? It comes down to you being salt and light, making a difference in the lives of the people that God brings you into contact with and, and helping lost people one person at a time. So this morning, if you get nothing else from the jerseys and nothing else from the message, I want you to get this, that God wants you in the game. He wants you out on the field. It's not enough to come here on Sunday morning and sit there and be part of the worship and then go home and, and act like I've, I've done my thing for this week. Because he needs you out on the field and he wants you out on the field. And you can't be a follower unless you're out on the field. You're just a fan otherwise. And that's not enough. So don't worry about the cost. Just give freely of your time and energy and money and just... Don't worry about trying to save your life. Jesus said, you know, if you give up your life for me, then you'll find it. Then you'll save it. But if you hold on to it for yourself, you'll actually lose it. Jesus said to his disciples in Acts 1, 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Hang on to that. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and, and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. For you and me personally, for you sitting there today, you may not have the gift of evangelism. You may not have the talents or skills that you wish you had. But each of us is called to engage lost people in this ministry of outreach, in this mission of Jesus, of reaching lost people. We are the chips and salsa in this lost world. So let's be salt. 
We are the flashlights in this dark cellar of this lost world around us. So let's shine as much as we can. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we could go to your word today. I pray that our hearts are stirred and changed. That we understand what it means to be not just a fan, but a follower of Jesus. That we understand what it means to be salt and light in this world. To make a difference. Because you've set us there to change things. To bring change to the lives of people that are lost and hurting and helpless. You've called us, Lord, to minister to them in, in love, in unconditional love, in, in sacrificial love, without criticism, without condemnation, but just come alongside them, loving them. You've called us to be the salt that makes them thirsty for you and makes this world a better place. You've called us to be light so that we can dispel the darkness of individual lives. We probably can't fix all the darkness, Lord. That's your job, but we can dispel the darkness in someone's life. And we can also overcome, through Jesus, the fear, the anxieties that they face and bring peace to them through Christ like they've never had before. Lord, I pray that you would be with us today as we leave, that this would not just be a message, but it would make a difference in how we live. And that we would realize, Lord, that, that you've called us into a very special place of service, a place to be out on the field, out on the field serving alongside you, that others who are now lost would be found and they would come home. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a wonderful Lord. He's made it all possible. We're going to sing about him together. Would you just stand with me as we sing about Jesus? <laughs>